Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We have the assurance that if we die knowing Christ, we shall be with the Lord for eternity. The Old Testament prophet Daniel was a faithful man. His heart was devoted to God and his word. He had been given a vision by God of what was to come. So what now? As we look at the final chapter of the Old Testament book of Daniel, Dr. Corbett explores Daniel's rest. Please turn to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. We're at that stage of Daniel's life where he is an aged man. He is at least 85 going on 90 years of age. So this man has been faithful in serving God throughout his whole life. What a model. What a role model for me. I I want my life in many respects to emulate his example of not being a bellwether Christian, somebody who goes to church when they feel like it or reads their Bible when they want to get something particularly out of it, but because we love God and Daniel loved God and he saw out his whole days loving God. And in this last section from chapter 7 through to chapter 12, Daniel has been shown some extraordinary visions, some visions of the future and Daniel is one of those books and we're going to see some indicators even from this section this morning that much of what Jesus quoted in fact Jesus quoted from Daniel chapter 7 through Daniel chapter 12 in a way that has often been overlooked by people who haven't understood that he was quoting Daniel in fact the book of Revelation is written to an audience that was familiar with Daniel chapters 7 to 12. One of the statements we're going to read in here, which I don't have time to elaborate on, is this. In the last days, wisdom will increase and people will run to and fro. And it has to do with the fact that people will be able to look at the prophecies that Daniel himself said, I do not understand. And it has to do with the fact that the prophecy itself says, Daniel, you don't understand what I've told you. But for those people who are living in the days in which these prophecies concern, they will begin to understand. And then generations after them will see things with a clarity that right now, Daniel, you haven't got. And I hope without sounding bombastic or arrogant to show you that we today can look back on the prophecies of Daniel and even the prophecies of Revelation with a great deal of clarity, a clarity that Daniel himself did not possess. So here's the first thing. Daniel's an old man. He's been serving God all his life and I hope you do too. I really hope you do too. I hope that we, you know, if we ever have the, the Lagana reunion of, two, you know, the, the church of 2015 reunion, I hope that we can, we can all say I'm, I'm still faithfully serving God and, I, and, and my heart for God is just as, as on fire as it was when I first had that love for Christ. Daniel's remarkable prophetic, and I was going to call it career, but I think I'll call it a ministry. His prophetic ministry culminates now, and it culminates with 
a vision of what he's shown is the end. And I'm going to suggest to you it's the end, not of the world, but the end of the old covenant. And there's a reason why I'm going to say it like that. It's because in this chapter, it talks about the ending or the doing away with sacrifice and offering. The sacrificial system, the offering system of the old covenant was the was the central point of the old covenant. You might think old covenant is that is that the same as the old testament? The old testament, a testament is a record. The, the old testament is the record of something. So in one sense the old testament is the record of the old covenant. The old covenant is the agreement that God had with people before Christ. And Christ came to establish the new covenant. So Daniel is shown what is going to happen when God brings to an end the old covenant. Now I say that because when you see it, hopefully you'll go, you know, that, that, that looks pretty obvious. And here's the problem. I could have brought out, as I have previously done when I've dealt with Revelation, all kinds of books about this chapter, chapter 12 of Daniel. I could have even brought out, I've got a Rex Humbard prophecy Bible. Now, does anyone, has anyone ever heard of Rex Humbard? All the people over 50. Just. Rex Humbard was a TV evangelist from Ohio. In fact, he was one of the first TV evangelists. But Rex Humbard, one of the things he used to do was, okay, well, I've got to get some money into this thing to keep the show on TV. What can I do? And he got this wonderful idea of selling the Rex Humbard Prophecy Bible. Leather bound, really thick, good for hitting people because it's like thick, solid gold leaf. But it had all these prophecies highlighted throughout it, which apparently had to do with the present day. And so you could open the Rex Humbard Prophecy Bible and see in Daniel chapter 12 prophecies of the motor car. God actually apparently prophesied the invention of the Model T Ford in Daniel chapter 12. And I didn't know that. I was learning so much from the Rex Humbard Prophecy Bible. <laughs> because there's a prophecy that says in the last days, knowledge will increase and people will go to and fro. <laughs> well, you need a car to do that, don't you? So there's all these kind of weird... Pro but one of the things that Rex Humbard did was he said, this talks about not... This, this section of prophecy here talks about the end of the world and how it's all going to end and, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and millions of people are going to die and it's just going to be cataclysmic nuclear warfare and the whole world will blow up. That was, and, and then a whole bunch of movies came out. Um, Thief in the Night. Um, uh, Mark of the Beast 666. And there was a whole bunch of us teenagers who went to a youth group who had, who had the snot scared out of us from watching these movies based on Daniel, Daniel's prophecies. And there were girls in the youth group, 15, 16 years of age, who were going, oh, great, the world's about to end. Rex Humbard said it's going to end any, any day now. 
it's all going to be over. And I've not, never even had a boyfriend. I mean, forget the fact that millions of people could go to hell. You know, if, if what these guys were saying was true, they hadn't, had, they hadn't been kissed by a boy. That was the big issue for a teenage girl back in those days. That's, so Bible prophecy, theology, think through the process. Haven't been kissed by a boy. You know, I, as much as I thought it through as a boy, I never arrived at that conclusion. I never landed there. So there was a whole group of people who were very concerned the world was going to end. It was going to end very cataclysmically. It was going to end in world war. And as silly as I've made it sound, this was very, very real back in the 1970s and 1980s to the point where we actually had somebody, somebody visit this church and they were in their late 60s and they'd never bought a house. They'd never bought a house. Because they'd been told in the 70s and 80s there's no point to buying a house because the world's going to end pretty soon anyway based on the prophecies of Daniel. Therefore, it's just a waste of money to buy a house. You might as well give that money to missions or to your local church or have something constructive done with it rather than waste it on buying a house. If you get this wrong, it can literally cause people, because it has, to lose sleep, to nightmare, and to be very, very anxious about the future. So I don't want to tell you something just because I, I want to calm you down or I want to not have you get stressed. That's not my goal here. My goal is simply this. Let's look at the text and let's see what the text actually means. That's my goal. So I'm not trying to force anything into the text. I'm not trying to draw things out of the text that weren't there. That's all I'm trying to do. And I want you to see Daniel's prophecy culminates. He's an old man and he's now shown a glimpse of the future. And he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. So we're in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael. So we've already been introduced to Michael in some of the preceding chapters. He's the angel over the nation of Israel, God tells us. The great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So there's several things we get out of this verse, just this verse. But if you don't understand first century history, you're going to read something like that and you're going to be a sucker for the Rex Humbard Prophecy Bible. You're going to succumb to, the, to the, the paperback tripe that's put out about this and believe, oh, it's talking about our day. When in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is given by God a very specific time window of when these events, events would take place. From the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, God is telling Daniel, there shall be 69 weeks, and a week is seven years. 69 times seven, what is that? 480 uh, something. And, and you add that time to when Daniel is, when the walls were decreed to be rebuilt, and you come to around about the time of Christ. 
You don't even need... It's, it's just, you just ballpark it right about there. So Daniel is now told, at that time, the time following the Messiah, this is what will happen. So I'm not trying to force this text to say anything than it, it is saying. But here's what most of us don't know about first century history. And if you don't understand what happened in the first century, you're going to read some of this and, you go, and it's just like not, not going to gel. Let me tell you, some of the cataclysmic events took place in the first century. AD 30, what happened? Jesus was crucified. That was pretty cataclysmic. AD 30, Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away until all these things. And he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, Christians fleeing Jerusalem, all kinds of really weird things happening. And he says, this generation won't pass away until all these things happen. Anyone know how long a generation is in the Bible? 40 years. The nation of Israel was in the wilderness for a generation. 40 years. And so in AD 70, something cataclysmic happened in the first century around that region. What happened? Anyone know? The destruction of Jerusalem. Thank you very much. Jerusalem was destroyed. In AD 64, something cataclysmic happened. A 27-year-old Roman emperor by the name of Germanicus Nero declared war on Christians. And he began killing hundreds of thousands of Christians around the empire. 64 AD. Peter was one of them. Paul was another one. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. I think the book of Revelation refers to the death of the apostle Paul in Revelation chapter 20, where it says, and, and those who were beheaded for their faith in Christ. And we read that and go, wow, there must have been a lot of people beheaded. No, there was someone very famous who was beheaded and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And the first century reader who's reading this in 65 AD they would know exactly who this is talking about. In 66 AD, something cataclysmic happened. Nero turned his attention to Jerusalem and he declared war on Jerusalem. General Cestius, who was sent there with the armies of Rome, set up the insignia of Rome in the temple and said, from now on, there's not to be any more sacrifice or offering. You are to worship Rome. Caesar is Lord. Caesar ho curios. And for some strange reason, Josephus says, General Cestius then withdrew from the city for three days. And in that three days, Josephus tells us, every Christian in the city fled. And the Jews locked the gates and began the siege. The siege, high wall, gates locked, can't get in. That started in 66 AD. And it ended in 70 AD when the Romans finally overrun. They overran Jerusalem and destroyed it. In the process, Josephus tells us that the Romans bombarded the city continually with catapults. You ever seen the opening scene of the movie Gladiator? Me and Tony have. Me, Tony and Marco have. <laughs> for the sake of the rest of you, I only watched it for ministry purposes so I could illustrate some New Testament principles of history. Plus it had Russell Crowe. 
Anyway, <laughs> they're catapulting the forests of Germania. And that's what the Romans did to Jerusalem. Bang, bang, bang. There would be people, there were farm fields in, within the walls. Two would be out plowing in the field. Bang, one of those catapults would hit one. One would be taken, one would be left. One of those catapults would hit the houses of Jerusalem. There'd be people in a bed. One would be killed, one would be left. So when you read in Matthew 24, two will be in a field, one will be taken, one will be left. It's not rapture. It's Roman catapults. And in 70 AD, when they finally overran it and burned Jerusalem to the ground, Josephus tells us 1.1 million Jews had been killed. The blood, he says, was running under the gates of Jerusalem. Romans had to walk over, Josephus tells us, bodies three deep to move around the city. I call that cataclysmic. That's cataclysmic. And so when we read in Daniel chapter 12 verse 1, what we just read, does that change the way you understand Daniel chapter 12? It should. This is what Josephus tells us. The slaughter within was even more dreadful than the spectacle from without. Men and women, old and young, insurgents and priests, those who fought and those who entreated mercy were hewn down in indiscriminate carnage. The number of the slain exceeded that of the slayers. Legionaries had to clamber over heaps of dead to carry on the work of extermination. Wow. This is taken from the History of the Jews, book 16. What else do we see in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1? We see that God keeps what's called the book of life. This is first mentioned in Exodus, where you might recall Moses says this, blot me out of your book, but spare them. What book? This book, the book of life. The book of life, which records all those who are redeemed by God, that is those who have said, yes, God, I need to be forgiven by you. I accept your forgiveness. The book of life. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, we see that God not only has this book that Daniel sees, but he has other books as well. And perhaps the word books is telling us something, telling us that God keeps a record, a record of all those who have said yes to him, a record of all those who have said, yes, God, I recognize I've blown it. I need your forgiveness. Please come and forgive me. I recognize that your limitless love has continually reached out to me. No matter how often I've ignored you, you've kept after me. And God, I thank you for that. That's the book of life. Those who've received Christ as their Lord. But there's other books that God has, a book of our words, a book of our deeds, a book of our prayers. And it says here, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And now we have the assurance that if we die knowing Christ, we shall be with the Lord for eternity. 
We shall be with the Lord for eternity. In the meantime, God's got a job for us. And you see, we're going to read in the next verse about a very dark time. And I want to point out to you that lights always shine their brightest when surrounded by deep darkness. And you might feel the world is getting darker and darker. You might feel that way. But you know what? As it does, that's when we shine brighter. We shine brighter. Verse 3, it says this, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And they shine with the glory of God. They are giving glory to God. In the midst of their own difficulties, they give glory to God. There's a lot I could say about this and how it applied to those Christians in the first century. But we'll deal with that later. But this is what God says to him in verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. And that contrasts with what God tells John in the book of Revelation. Do not shut up the words of this book and do not seal the words of this prophecy. The exact, the, the exact opposite to what Daniel's being told here. Until the time of the end, many shall run to and fro. Sounds like a Model T Ford to me, really. Um, I'm being silly. And knowledge shall increase. And I'm going to suggest to you it's knowledge of what God had done around the time of Christ and shortly after. And this siege of Jerusalem I mentioned started in 66. If you count 66 to 70, it sounds like four years. It was actually three and a half years because it kind of started halfway through 66. So it's three and a half years. That is 1260 days. Three and a half years, 42 months, three and a half years, a time of great tribulation for Israel. Three and a half years. The war on Christians began in 64 AD when Nero declared war and it stopped when Nero died in 68 AD. That was exactly 1,260 days just as the book of Revelation told the first Christians it would be. Now, you just need to know that because there's this expression, time, times, and half a time. Now, let's go to verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and a half a time so jerusalem the people of israel would go through intense persecution and trouble for that duration and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things will be finished time one year times two years there's three and a half a time three and a half years and that's exactly what happened that is what happened in the first century. That's how long it lasted. We go down to verses 11 and 12. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away. Hmm. And the abomination that makes 
desolate is set up. So you see here, from the time offerings cease, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, if you're into maths, you might go, but hang on, Pastor, you just said the destruction of Jerusalem actually lasted 1,260 days. Yeah, I did. I did. And here Daniel is saying, or being told, it's 1,290 days. That's right. But let's read on. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days when the Romans packed up and left. In other words, if you happen to survive this, a month after and a month and a half after when the Romans left, you're blessed. You were blessed. Verse 12. Verse 13, sorry. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So Daniel is told to rest because he had labored all his life in serving God. In the old covenant, Believers looked forward to rest, a rest from their labours, a rest from the stresses of life, a rest from the pressure and the struggles of life, and God promised rest. You know, because of what Christ has now inaugurated, the new covenant believers' hope is not mere rest, but bliss. Bliss. Here's one verse that illustrates that bliss that awaits us as believers he will wipe away every tear from their eyes death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning so no more pain emotional pain nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away wow in in heaven not one regret not one flinch of emotional pain not one thought of insecurity not one moment of physical pain or discomfort bring it on (laughs) that's bliss and that awaits the believer it awaits the believer paul writing to the corinthians describes it this way but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man even imagined what god has prepared for those who love him that's what awaits us the bliss of eternal life with Jesus forever. The bliss of it. It's not just rest. It's bliss, eternal bliss. And there is an eternal reward that a lifetime of godliness. And right now I'm thinking of Daniel. Man, this guy, it says, God says to him, you go, you rest until we establish and then the cross established the new covenant, the end of the old covenant, inaugurated the new covenant. And Daniel you rest until that day and when that day comes you will come and you will stand before me in a new covenant bliss wow that means that a lifetime of godliness attains what only can be produced from stress struggle and pressure so when you're going through stress struggle and pressure those horrible things those horrible moments realize this It's those things that indispensably produce godliness in you. 
And the, the, the level of godliness, which is your Christian maturity, is the thing the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that brings you an eternal gain. You take with you into eternity your level of godliness that you attain in this life. You could be a slacker Christian. You could get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. That's the grace of God. But you've got to live with that level of godliness for eternity. Or you can say, Jesus, I gave my life to you 50 years ago. And I know I hope you give me another 50 because I want to grow in that grace. I want to become more godly. I want those virtues that First Peter 1 talks about to exemplify my life. I want to be the kind of follower that just continually grows and knows you more and is able to exhibit those qualities that reflect you to a dying world. Jesus. And if you do that, that level of godliness is what you take with you into eternity. Paul says physical exercise is of some benefit. Godliness is of eternal benefit. And Daniel lived a life of godliness, and I pray we do too. Daniel receives the word from God that those who are wise shall understand. And Daniel, a man of faithfulness, is given his rest. That concludes this series on Daniel. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Daniel's Rest, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media. P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.